Have you ever given much thought to where people get the names they name their children? Have you ever thought about that? Some of us were named after our parents. Some of us were named after famous people. Others of us were given names symbolizing the hopes and dreams that that our parents had for us. But some of us were given names simply because they were cute or popular at the time. I read an article this past week that revealed that some of the most popular names today are coming from TV shows today. Names like Galisa, Brand, Sandor are coming from the HBO series Game of Thrones. Names like Galena and Boo and Dianara are coming from the Netflix show, Orange is the New Black. Now, let me encourage you not to do that because, because it's going to be embarrassing one day when your children come to you and say, where did you get my name? And you say, well, I named you after a character on a TV show that promoted gratuitous sex and violence. You would be very embarrassed to be able to say that to your kids. So don't do that. You see, naming a child is a very important decision. It's, it's not something that we take lightly. When we found out that we were expecting each of our children, we, we gave serious thought to what we were going to name our children. And, and when our first child was born, we named him Jonathan David after Jonathan and David in the Bible. Jonathan means gift from God. David means loved one. And we wanted him to know that he was a gift from God and we loved him and God loved him. And because he was a gift from God, as soon as he was born, we held him up and gave him back to God. When our second child was born, Mary Elizabeth, we named her after Mary and Elizabeth in the Bible. Mary was the mother of Jesus. Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. And, and these women were used mightily. They were used greatly by God. When our third child came along, we named him Joshua Caleb after those two Hebrew spies that, that stood against the crowd and stood for God. And we wanted our son Joshua to know that that even though the trials and the struggles of this world would come, God would give him the power to be able to stand up with courage against the world. And then when our final child was born, we named him Matthew Thomas after two of the disciples that followed Jesus. Matthew was a disciple that, that gave up earthly wealth. He was a tax collector and he gave that up to, to follow the Lord. And, and Thomas was the one who doubted, and yet he was a disciple who gave his life for the Lord. And we wanted Matthew to know that, that no amount of earthly wealth is worth more than following Jesus. And we wanted him to know that even if he struggled with doubts in life, God was bigger than those doubts, and doubts would never keep you from being a follower of Christ. Unbelief would, but doubts wouldn't. Now, when I came along and I was born, I wasn't named after a biblical character. My parents nicknamed me Rocky. Now, that's my nickname, but that's the name they gave me from birth. 
But that's not my real name. My real name was, well, I was named after my dad. And my dad was named after, not his dad. He was named after two comic book characters. Donald Duck and Chester Gump. And I knew Donald Duck. We still have Donald Duck today. But I had no clue who Chester Gump was. And so last year, he found this book on Amazon. It's from 1934. And he gave it to me for Christmas. He said, see, there was a Chester Gump. And he was a cowboy He was a Western hero, and so I feel pretty good about that. But when we read the Bible, we discover that names were always significant. When the Hebrews gave someone a name, it meant something. Your name represented your character. Your name was descriptive of you as a person. And and that's especially true when it comes to the names of our Savior. It is estimated that, that there are over 700 names and titles given to Jesus in the world of God. And and each of those names reveal a portion of his nature. Each tries to capture a a piece of his essence. But the amazing thing about about Jesus is that, that he is too beautiful, he is too amazing to have any one name capture his essence. Because when we think about all that he did and all that he is, one name cannot Begin to describe that. Now, one of my favorite courses was written on Christmas Day, actually, 1955. It was written by Lucy Adams. And and when I was a child, this was a relatively new song. But the chorus is, His Name is Wonderful. I think most of you have probably heard it before. You know, it was one of those newfangled songs when some of you we're in church back in the 50s and the 60s, but, but listen to the words of that chorus. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. He is the mighty king, master of everything. His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. He is the great shepherd, the rock of all ages. Almighty God is he. Bow down before him, love and adore him. His name is wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. Now what I want us to do this morning is I want us to go back in history, around 740 years before Jesus was ever even born, and I want us to look at four names that God gave the prophet Isaiah to describe Jesus. We find these names in Isaiah chapter 9. So if you haven't already, let me encourage you to turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. As we continue this series, Ancient Stories of Christmas, because this is one of those ancient stories that reveal to us the Christmas story before the Christmas story ever even occurred. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Listen to what God's Word says. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and 
He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, I want us to walk through this verse. The first two phrases are very important. And and oftentimes, as we read these verses, we just gloss over these phrases to get to the meat of the passage, the names of Jesus. But notice what Isaiah is told by God. To us, a child is born. To us. A son is given. Jesus came to earth for us. He gave up his home in heaven. He took on human flesh. He died on a cross for us. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel pretty special. To know that God came down from heaven... For us. Does that make you feel special? If it doesn't, something's wrong. Because it should. Now notice the second thing we are told. We are told that this child who will be born will establish a kingdom that will last forever. Now some of you will say that that this didn't happen. That, that Jesus lived and then he Died and he didn't establish this kingdom that will last forever. And I will say, but yes, he did. That kingdom just hasn't been fully realized yet. But there is coming a day when King Jesus is going to return. And when he does, he will rule and he will reign forever. And the peace that he brings will know no end. So Jesus did establish that kingdom. It's just not fully realized yet. But then he gives us four names. Four names to to describe this child that was going to be born. And as we look at these names that were given to us, we reveal that this child that was going to be born is the solution to every problem we face. And he is the answer to every question we may have. In other words... Jesus is all we will ever need. If we have Jesus, if we really have Jesus, then he's all we ever need. It's not that we need Jesus and, and you can fill in the blanks. As long as I have Jesus and a good relationship, everything will be okay. As long as I have Jesus and... Enough money to live comfortably, everything will be okay. As long as I have Jesus and some friendships to gather around me, I will be okay. It's not that way. The scripture reveals that once we have Jesus, we have everything we need. And we discover that very clearly in these four names. So notice what it says. It says that, He will be called, first of all, Wonderful Counselor. And that's good news because we all need counsel from time to time, don't we? 
Have you ever needed counsel? Raise your hand. I mean, we've all needed counsel from times. Proverbs 11, verse 14 says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But where there are many counselors, there is safety. Over and over in the book of Proverbs, we are told that that we should seek advice. We should seek counsel. And it seems today that, that many people, especially in America, are doing just that. We go to psychiatrists. We go to psychologists, we go to psychoanalysts looking for answers to the problems of life. We consult financial counselors, we go to career counselors, we have marriage counselors, we have family counselors, we have counselors of every single kind, and and there's nothing wrong with that. We should seek advice and counsel, especially when we have a need in life. But let me tell you something about those counselors. Those counselors include myself. Those counselors can give you advice. They can give you opinions. They can tell you what is helpful. But the truth of the matter is, any of those counselors can be wrong. And the fact of the matter is, most of those counselors will be wrong from time to time. They're not infallible and no matter how good they are no matter how caring they may be there are going to be times that they make mistakes but the good news is the bible says that we have access to the wonderful counselor the most wonderful counselor we could ever imagine and his name is jesus christ he will never be wrong He will never lead you astray. He will never give you bad advice. The truth is, he is always right. He has counsel for every crisis. He has a plan for every problem. He has direction for every dilemma. He has a prescription for every pain. He has a word for every person. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 29 and And one translation says this, his counsel is wonderful and his wisdom is great. Now let me tell you several things about his counsel that makes it wonderful and great. First of all, he understands our struggles. Hebrews 4 makes that clear. Verse 15 says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our every weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet... He is without sin. See, Jesus knows what you're going through. There isn't a situation you will ever face that he hasn't faced. Whether it's being betrayed or being wrongly accused or being misunderstood or being abused, Jesus has been there. So he understands. Next, he cares. In 1 Peter 5, it says, Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Some counselors care for us as long as we have the money to pay the bill. But when our money runs out, the truth of the matter is their care runs out, but not Jesus. Jesus cares about you. He cares about you as a person. He cares about your character. He cares about your spiritual growth. He cares about your emotional welfare. He cares about the pain that you are suffering. And because he cares... The Bible says that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. No matter how bad it gets. And listen, no matter how bad you get. He will never leave you. 
He will never forsake you. But there's another reason he's the wonderful counselor, and that is he's the absolute truth. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus is the complete truth. As a matter of fact, he defines truth. And so he's never going to give you bad counsel, bad advice. Jesus will listen with compassion. He will help you see things in a new light. And he will confront you when it's needed. You see, he's the one counselor who will never, ever lead you astray. That's Jesus. And so I want to encourage you this morning to make a commitment. I want to encourage you to make a commitment to listen to the counsel of Jesus. The counsel that we discover in this book, the counsel that he gives to the Holy Spirit as we are following this book. If you follow the counsel that Jesus gives, you will never be led astray. And I'm here to tell you, he will help you through any and every situation in life. Now, secondly, the Bible says his name will be called the mighty God. Now, think about that for just a moment. Wonderful counselor, the people hearing Isaiah speak, they could, they could grasp that. A child's going to be born, a son is going to be given, and he is a wonderful counselor. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the best that has ever been. But then we hear that second name. He is the mighty God. Now, I think that if there was a crowd gathered around Isaiah as he was speaking, you would have been able to hear a pin drop. Mighty God, mighty God, the child that is going to be born, the son that is going to be given is the mighty God. And yet, that's what Isaiah said. Isaiah was saying that the baby that was going to be born in Bethlehem was the all-powerful, almighty God. Adrian Rogers, who is now in heaven, said this, the infinite became an infant. Understand, Jesus is, is not a type of God. He is not a kind of God. He is the mighty God, the one and only God. And because this child that was going to be born is the mighty God, that means the one who would be born has all power. Because mighty God means the all-powerful God. Listen to what Jesus said before he ascended up into heaven in Matthew 28. So Jesus came and spoke to them saying this, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. In Colossians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10, it says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, listen, who is the head over every power and authority. One translation says it this way. He is the highest ruler with authority over every power. Another translation says his power extends over everything. 
As the wonderful counselor, he tells us what is right. But as the mighty God, he is able to empower us to do right. As the wonderful counselor, he provides for us a perfect plan. As the mighty God, he provides for us the power to accomplish that plan. As the wonderful counselor, he gives us counsel. As the mighty God, he gives us courage. As the wonderful counselor, he is omniscient, all-knowing. As the mighty God, he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. What this tells us is there is no enemy we will face that can defeat us as long as we stand with him. He is the all-powerful God. Nothing is beyond his ability. Jesus has the power over anything And everything. We see this throughout the Gospels. Uh, Let me just give you an example. You can read this this week in your devotional reading if you want to. First five chapters of the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 2, we see that Jesus has power over sin. Four men brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And and we would think that that paralyzed man's greatest need was to be able to walk. But that wasn't his greatest need. He was overwhelmed with guilt and shame because of sin. And when he came to Jesus, do you know what the very first thing Jesus said to him is? Your sins are forgiven. Jesus has the power to forgive sins because he paid sin's debt. Is there a sin that's overwhelming you and and crushing you? Jesus has the power to forgive that sin. Jesus has power over nature. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is with his disciples. They're out on a boat on the sea. And and the Bible says a fierce storm came up. And and many of these men were, were men who were fishermen all their lives. And yet they were scared to the point of believing they were going to die. And Jesus woke up. He rebuked the wind. He said, peace be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. Jesus has power over, over nature. But this shows us he has power over the storms of life. What storm do you face in life that, that Jesus can't overcome? He has power over demons. In Mark chapter 5, the disciples and Jesus ended up in Gerizim. And and they landed next to a cemetery, a graveyard. And there was a man there who was possessed by, by many demons. His name was Legion. The people tried to put him in chains, but he would break the chains. He was so possessed that he would cut himself. He was destroying himself. And at the name of Jesus, those demons had to submit, and they had to flee that man. What is there that is overpowering you? What is there that is enslaving you? Listen, Jesus has power over that. In chapter 5, we we see Jesus walking to the house of someone. And on the way, as he's walking to this house, there is a woman who had been bleeding. She had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And the Bible says that power came out of Jesus and healed her immediately. Can Jesus do that today? You better believe he can. Does he always do that today? No. But he can and he does And we need to know that whatever sickness we face, we can go to Jesus, the great physician. And he even has power over death. 
When he arrived at that home in Mark chapter 5, there was a man, Jairus, his daughter. He was going to heal. The daughter had died. Jesus went in the room with the daughter. He prayed over her, and she was risen back to life. He could even raise the dead. What power is there in your life that you don't think Jesus is powerful enough to overcome? He is the mighty God. The mighty God. Never forget that. Jesus is the wonderful counselor, able to give you guidance and direction in life. He is the mighty God, able able to deliver you and walk with you through anything you're facing in life. But next, Isaiah said that his name will be called the Everlasting Father. Now, last week, we, we talked about Jesus being everlasting. Jesus had no beginning point. He has no ending point. There was never a time that Jesus did not exist. He was not created by God. Jesus is the creator God. If we go all the way back to the beginning of time itself, we will find Jesus there. Jesus has always been. Jesus always will be. Revelation 22 verse 13, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Some of you here may say, well, everything has a beginning, and I would say to you, why? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say logically and rationally that somewhere, somehow, something or someone had to start it all? I mean, there has to be something that is eternal. There has to be something that, that started everything and got everything in motion. And the Bible says that that eternal creator... The one who got the ball rolling, if you will, was none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus is the everlasting Father. That's the theological truth here. He's everlasting. He's eternal. But, but the practical truth is he's our Father. He loves us like a father. Now, some of us here today may say, well, that's not a good picture because I haven't been a very good father or I didn't have a very good father and And if that's your case, then I understand your struggle here when you see Jesus as a father. But understand that Jesus isn't a father like us. Jesus is the perfect father. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 18, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He is the perfect father. He's the perfect father because he's consistent. He doesn't change. There are times that we do. I mean, for instance, let me give you an example in my life. As we were trying to raise four kids in a culture that is ever changing, we always struggled with what kind of things did we allow our children to do and what kind of things did we say they couldn't do. And, and there were times that, that we didn't allow them to do the Halloween thing. And there were times that we did allow them to do the Halloween thing. Now, some of you may say, well, you should never let your children participate in Halloween. And I would say, get a life. Get a life. I mean, it's not that simple. And, 
You know, maybe when you stand before God, you'll be the all-knowing one. But I would say to you that there are believers that have different opinions on that. And, and, and your opinion is good. But don't be judgmental and arrogant in regard to that. And we struggled with that. We struggled with, do we let our kids dress up in costumes and, and go rob candy from people's houses? Not rob. Or, or, or do we say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to have things at our church and tell people they shouldn't celebrate the devil's day. I, I mean, w- so we changed. But, but our Heavenly Father, Jesus, the, the everlasting Father, He's consistent. He never changes. He's compassionate. He's love in action. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus our Lord. The perfect picture of that is the prodigal son. The prodigal son who said to the father, I wish you were dead. Would you go ahead and give me my inheritance? I mean, can it get any worse than that? For your son coming to you and saying that and the father gave him his inheritance. The son went and squandered his inheritance on, the Bible says, riotous living, the the way of the world. And while he was in a pig pen, he came to himself and realized even the servants had it better in his father's house. And he went back to his father in humility. And when his father saw him a long distance away, his father began to run and reach out to him and grab him and say, My son, who has been gone, is now home. Go kill a fatty calf and let's have a celebration. That's our father. He's compassionate. But he is a father who corrects. Hebrews 12, verses 7 and 8 says, Endure your discipline. God corrects you as a father corrects his children. All children are disciplined by their fathers. In other words, if we're we're getting into sin and we aren't experiencing the discipline of God that, that comes first by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit... It comes in a variety of ways. And then there are times that God intervenes in our life and, and disciplines us in other ways. But, but if we aren't being disciplined by our Father, we need to ask, do we really know the Father? Because the Father disciplines those He loves because He doesn't want them to destroy their lives. And so we will intervene and discipline them. Thus the child is born and thus the son is given. What is his name? His name will be Wonderful Counselor because he will always lead you correctly. His name will be Mighty God because he has the power to meet your every need. His name will be Everlasting Father because he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And his love to you is the love of a perfect father who loves his children with an everlasting love. But there's one final name. His name will be called Prince of Peace. Now some of you will be asking, where is the peace? If he's the Prince of Peace, where is the peace? I mean, I don't see... Peace, and, and I would say to you, well, peace is where Jesus is reigning. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus isn't reigning everywhere today. And there is only peace in the places where Jesus is reigning. There's coming a day when Jesus will rule and reign everywhere. And when he does, his peace will spread throughout the earth. But today, his peace spreads to those where he rules and reigns. 
Now, what kind of peace does the Prince of Peace give? He gives the peace with God. Because you see, it's not possible to have the peace of God until we have peace with God. Romans 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us internal peace. John 14, verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love what Corey Ten Boone said. She said, When I look at the world... I get distressed. When I look at myself, I get depressed. But when I look at Jesus, I am at rest. It's a good word, amen? And that's so true today. Jesus is able to give us a peace that's different than anything in this world. And there's some of you that could testify to that. You've gone through times that that would literally destroy a person that did not have Jesus. But because you had Jesus in the midst of those difficulties, in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that heartache, somewhere, somehow, you were filled with a peace that passes understanding. Jesus gives peace with God, eternal peace. He gives peace within, internal peace. And he gives peace with the world, External peace. Romans 12 verse 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And, and we know that we're not in that place yet, are we? We know that. But there's coming a day when Jesus will rule and reign and there will be peace throughout the earth. So Jesus is our wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. But even though those names are great, and even though those names describe a host of things that Jesus does for us, and they describe who Jesus is, none of those are Jesus' greatest name. You see, the name that is above every name is the name Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel said this, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In Philippians 2, it says, Therefore God exalted him and placed him in the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads with me right now. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to make, if you haven't already made, the most important decision you've ever made. And that is to become a follower of Jesus, the one who can save you from your sins. The only one who can save you from your sins. And, and hear me with your head bowed. It doesn't matter whether... You are a Baptist, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, or a Catholic. It doesn't matter whether you've been baptized, confirmed, or a host of other things because it's not about religion. What we're talking about is a relationship with the one who gave his life so that we could have life. I'm asking you to give your life to Jesus. 
the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the one who was named Jesus because he will save his people. He can save you from your sins. And so if you're here and and you've never made that kind of commitment to Jesus where you've given him your all, then I want to encourage you to do that right now. And you can pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning asking you to forgive me for all my sins. I need you. I know you love me. You came to this earth. You lived a perfect life. You died for my sins. You rose from the grave. All for me. I know you love me. Right now. I'm trusting you to save me. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Take control. I am yours. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Amen.